0: Find somebody who specializes in the real estate side of things, who you you know, like, and trust, and let them create a passive income stream for you while you can still put 110% of your energy on your passion.
1: Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on seven and eight-figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven-figures In a year or less, we'll uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to Center Stage, our next guest speaker. (laughs) Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Chad. Chad, thank you so much for being here with us today.
0: Cool. Thanks, Michelle. Glad to be here and share some stories.
1: Awesome. So give us a highlight of who you are and a brief touch on your business.
0: Sounds good. So, so yeah, I started out uh, my career as a structural engineer and turned general contractor, Uh, actually worked for Boeing on the space shuttle main engines for seven years, Um, did some engineering consulting and then uh, started a business with my brother here in Los Angeles, it was a, a lighting business. Uh, we did Christmas lighting, wedding lighting, event lighting, but primarily Christmas lighting. So very, very seasonal business. Um, I did that for uh, almost 18 years with him. Grew that to be about uh, 75 employees, three different locations, um, multi-million dollar business, and then uh, and then he actually bought me out in uh, 2018. And I started a new business, which is uh, CSQ Properties. And uh, that business focuses on creating, pa- creating passive income for investors, primarily entrepreneurs, uh, because I think they need additional streams of income and not rely solely on their business. And so we purchase apartment buildings, fix them up, and hold on to them for passive income throughout the United States.
1: Very cool. How did you get into property holding as a thing?
0: Uh, well, really, extend from uh, my background in construction and structural engineering uh, here in LA. I was doing seismic engineering for custom houses and small buildings, um, doing construction management for large commercial projects. Uh, so I had that, that's kind of how I started out my career, and then kind of put that aside when I was doing the the lighting business. And then uh, after you know seeing a lot of people become very successful in real estate said, you know what, I finally got to get back into that uh, on the investor side. And uh, and that's what I did in 2018. And uh, now, as of probably two weeks from now, I will have a $120 million portfolio in, uh, in real estate and just operating these deals for passive income for myself and investors.
1: Nice. I love it. So, when it comes to kind of the properties you're looking at, what specifically are you looking for? Is there something that you're going, yeah, that's our, that's our space. That's what I'm looking for.
0: Yeah. So, so generally uh, when I started out, I was doing deals in California where I'm from. Um, And then once um, COVID came and eviction moratoriums and statewide rent control and all this stuff, it didn't quite make sense uh, from an investment standpoint. So Uh, I still have those properties, but I'm not active in buying in California anymore. And and now I'm much more active in Florida. Um, So we generally will look for like a C-class building, which means it's either an older vintage or maybe there's deferred maintenance or it's just a a little beat up, needs to be fixed up. And uh, so we buy these these types of distressed buildings and we have what they call a CapEx budget or capital expenditure budget for construction. We fix them up and uh, and bring those those units to market and then uh, and then hold on to it for passive income generally for like five years um, before we sell the property and start over on something new
1: thanks I like it what was it that was attractive to you about Florida other than the weather Uh, of course and the taxes
0: (laughs) uh, besides the weather besides the taxes (laughs) besides a thousand people a day moving there Lot of companies <laughs> like it's all it all makes for a really good investment yep. um but but like all that stuff is really true I mean there's just a lot of positives right now for Florida and um and so investments are doing really well there it's still very reasonable reasonably priced to live there um and there's plenty of older buildings that need to be fixed up And, uh, and the people that live there, I'm sorry, the people that live there and people that are moving there want a nice place to live. So, um, you know, it's not very attractive to be moving into a, a a really old or beat up building that needs a lot of work. So, uh, people are willing to pay for what we're doing and, uh, we're improving the community at the same time.
1: All right. love it. So are you focused mostly or all on apartments or are you looking at any commercial buildings as well?
0: Yeah. So I, I actually just closed a, a fund in St. Petersburg doing short-term rentals. Um, so that's like converting buildings. Um, actually, we're doing like a hybrid approach, which is kind of unique in this space. So so we'll buy an apartment building and we'll convert half of it to uh, short-term rentals or Airbnbs as they might be known, yep. uh, known as. And then, uh, so that's actually like a really long-term hold. We don't plan on selling any of those properties, um, we have a uh, soon to be eight properties in that fund. Uh, and then I also do some self-storage investments as well. But, um, so I guess those are the three asset classes I work within, but yep. it's, it is primarily apartment buildings.
1: Very cool. I like it. Uh, so in the, I, I had six questions and they all popped right out of my head. <laughs> I started thinking about, um, uh, in Florida, some of the, the buildings I know is particularly in Miami, they have a lot of, um caricature like that they there's a lot of style in those buildings are you looking at keeping those or are you looking at modernizing the buildings um do you care is it all about the skeletal system and kind of how do we make this look you know fun and enticing what's your take on them
0: yeah it kind of it kind of depends on on the building so i and i'll give you an example so in long beach um i bought a building that was built in 1910 and uh super old but good bones and really kind of cool unique historical architecture and uh and that one we kept like almost all of all of the architectural elements that made it kind of cool and historical and then uh but we did modernize it a little bit like with newer fixtures on the inside you know newer flooring um but like the architecture part of it that made it what it was we kept we kept everything um even even outside i mean we we painted it but like we didn't even want to change like the type of stucco that was on there it was like a much older dated stucco that you wouldn't see today but it was really cool it's like that's from the 1910 you know and it's like um and i think people do appreciate that but at the same time they want you know they want a nicer kitchen on the inside so um they don't want the works to be from 1910 (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know or or the, the some of the amenities on the inside Right. Um, But uh, but a lot of it, we do keep the same um, if it's if it's in that genre, um, really, you know, it's cool, cool historical elements.
1: Nice. I love it. I I think it's kind of funny because Florida to me and and New York are kind of the two pinnacle areas where you can see the architecture of like the history of architecture. And it's um, the people that live there, I think, may lose sight of that but <laughs> as a tourist I love yeah. and going in watching it so as as those tourists like in the bed and breakfast have you noticed that um kind of, are they a little more fun to work with what's your experience in the whole um short-term rental property side of things um, I, I
0: wouldn't say, no, I would not say they're more fun to work with. It's it's a different asset class. So like, yeah. you gotta have it, it's gotta be furnished. So, I mean, maybe you could have some fun with the furnishing. Cause you can do like a little bit more interior design on it from a, a furnishing standpoint. Um, management is a bit more difficult, a lot more handholding. The wear and tear on the unit is heavier. So there's more maintenance, Um, there's, there's more management costs that are associated with that. Um, but like on a nightly basis, you're getting much, much more money to account for that. So that kind of helps offset a lot of those costs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, But what's interesting is, and a lot of people might not think of this, but it's a very different management style on a short-term rentals than you would on a normal long-term rental. So like on a normal rental, you know, you, let's say you have a, um, a one-year lease and then maybe month to month after that. Well, the management company that's dealing with that, right, they have to do the the leasing, the initial leasing, and collect the security deposit, application background check, that sort of stuff, and then get the tenant in. And it's pretty much hands off until maybe a, a work order pops up or something like that. But it's, there's really not a whole lot of interaction beyond that point, which is why it's it's cheaper to manage. Uh, whereas, you know, the short-term rentals, you know, you could be a, a, a night or a couple nights all the way up to a month. Um, and your, your turnover just takes a lot more management. Um, so you could have a little bit more fun on, on the interior decorating for sure. Uh, cause you don't do any of that on, on your long-term rentals. Um, so that could be a little bit fun. Um, but besides that, it, it's, it's really just two different animals and, um, and it's really rare to have a unit that's half and half, right? Because normally you don't have to find a management company that, w- that will do both types of rentals and you don't want to have two management companies on the same property because then they start pointing fingers and it's, it's a mess. So the way we were able to do it is because we're, we're vertically integrated. So we do all of our own construction and we do all of our own property management for the, for that, that fund uh, in St. Petersburg, Tampa area. And um, and because we do the property management in house, then we can charge the property different rates depending on what we're doing. And there's no finger pointing because the buck stops with us. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, most most management companies won't won't do both on the same prop uh, on the same property. So yeah, I was going bit- to ask.
1: That was going to uh, be my next question: is how do you handle having two property managers in the same building? But yeah, no, 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 go- no, no, no.
0: That that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs>
1: So you, I know you have a publication called Why Entrepreneurs Should Invest in Apartments. Why should people invest in apartments?
0: Yeah, so so that's a good question. And it's something that I'm actually pretty passionate about. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've been a part or started six different companies. And uh, I feel like I really understand the entrepreneur. And I know you can relate to a lot of this because you're doing the same thing in in your business. And so, so often entrepreneurs... They're amazing at the passion they have for what they're building. Right? They they put all their heart and soul into it. Oftentimes, for for years at a time, um, they have to pay the employees first before they pay themselves. And um, and they're just they're so laser focused on building that business, which ironically is what makes the business successful. But it comes at a cost, and oftentimes it comes at their own personal cost, either. A, they pay themselves last and there's not a lot left over. Uh, or B, they never work on creating other income streams, right? Because they are put their heart and soul into it. So what happens as these business goes through different cycles and then they, they almost always do ups and down um, in, in the business cycles, and then their income is going to change with that. And then maybe, you know, God forbid the business goes out of business or they sell it. And then they don't have anything left. So so for me, I try to create passive income for entrepreneurs while they're, you know, focus 100% on, on this, find somebody who specializes in the real estate side of things who you, who you know, like, and trust, and let them create a passive income stream for you, while you can still put 110% of your energy on your passion. And, and that's what I try to do for entrepreneurs.
1: Nice. Love that. So- what are some of the other things that you guys are looking at when it comes to your properties in particular and what differentiates you from other property companies, investment companies?
0: Yeah. So good question. Uh, Cause not all real estate is the same and not all real estate teams are the same, which might be pretty obvious. Um, But it's very true and it can pop up in really nasty ways. So um, you really got to find a team with with a lot of experience. Um, And it's like, like these deals is not just me, right? Like I put together a partnership team, um, you know, like the last deal I just did in Orlando is a a $53 million property. So- um, What, you didn't just
1: back that yourself? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's me, I'm just going to sign this off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's you yeah, know, I, I could I could bag my own up to a couple million dollars, maybe five million, but the big properties, it really takes a team. Yeah. And um and and you're really you're putting a lot of trust in that team because as a limited investor, like you don't have any control over the asset, right? You're a limited partner. Um it's great for limiting the liability that you might have. That's good on that side, but there's also limits the control you have. So um the money that you invest in these in these deals really needs to be money that you're set aside for long-term generational wealth, um, um, growth that you're not going to need, you know, to pay for kids college in five years or a wedding in five years, something like that. Right. Cause it might not, even though we target a five year cycle hold period, it might, it might be seven depending on the market. So, um, so you really have to vet the, the operator or the general partner, uh, really well. Um, and then and then they become the experts on the, the property, the experts on the location. They manage everything from the property manager to the to the loan, working with the banks. Um, and and there's just a whole slew of work that goes into these things to make it successful. Um so you really gotta you gotta know the team pretty well or just trust the team.
1: Nice. So are most of your properties, are you going after passive? cash flow or are you going for acquisition and, and capital gain what are your goals for them
0: yeah that's, that's a really good question because there are different strategies there's so many different things you can do in real estate um primarily uh we do go after cash flow um hence the passive income side of things but i mean a lot of people are really successful just going over uh like equity appreciation and like that they just it might, like in LA a lot of properties in like really nice areas they don't cash flow really well just because they're in such high demand but you have what we call the pop at the end or the equity play at the end where you can sell it for a lot more and then you can really make your money then right so so people that that uh let's say already have their wealth and don't need cash flow like that could be something attractive for them um for us and what we do for our investors is we try to get um, at least like a five to eight percent um, cash return each year, and then uh, which, by the way, is generally um, shielded from taxes, tax deferred income uh, based on depreciation and some other things that I, I won't go into now. But um, but suffice it to say that we have like a monthly or quarterly cash flow payments that are being paid, and then to still get the the equity pop at the end uh, when it's sold.
1: I love it. So what would you say are some of your pet peeves in your industry? What are some of the things that companies are doing that you're like, oh, people need to know about this?
0: Um. Wow. That's a good question. I haven't been asked that. Yay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a new one. Pet peeves in real estate. Yeah. So I'll tell you one that's been very frustrating um, and more for California is people taking advantage of COVID, or I should say tenants taking advantage of COVID and claiming hardship when there really isn't a hardship and uh, and basically fraud within that system. And there's a lot of it. Um, you know, us, we we can see, you know, we're there. Like you can see the tenants got a brand new car or you know that they're working for cash under the table. Um, you know, there's a ton of employment, open uh, employment um. Uh, employment opportunities right now. And people are still saying that they can't find work. Um, It's horrible. And, um, and when I had my other business, you know, you'd have people that would apply. And it's even exaggerated now during COVID, like you could literally get like 100 applications and, and set up a bunch of interviews. And right now you'll get about three out of 100 that actually show up. And it's because they're forced in order to claim, in order to claim their benefits, they're forced to show that they're actively trying to get a job. So okay, here's my here's this job interview, here's this job interview, and that one, and blah blah blah. And they don't show up for it, and they say, no, I didn't get the job. Well, you didn't get the job because you didn't show up. And um, and that is very frustrating on multiple counts. One, I'm a landlord and I have to deal with tenants not paying. But two, as like a business owner, and you, I mean, I don't know how you guys are seeing it in Canada, but it's really hard to find workers right now. There's, you know, you hear about this worker shortage and it's like, how how can you have unemployment um, high, but high job openings and getting benefits from the government? And then people say they can't find jobs. Like there, there's a disconnect there. And, yeah. and em, 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 employers or entrepreneurs, they're the ones that are taking a big hit. Like anyone running a business right now, it's really tough to find workers. And uh, and they say there's a, a worker shortage and uh, and we all know what that really means. And mm-hmm. it's just frustrating to see people take advantage of the system. And and there are people that really need it. And it's great that we've got kind of this backstop for those people.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: in my experience, from what I'm seeing, there's a lot of fraud.
1: Uh-uh, that sucks. And a little accountability would go a long way to go, hey, did they show up? <laughs> yeah. Like, that wouldn't take it's a so lot of time and effort to be able to follow up on that one. That's awesome. So wh- when it comes to um, your business right now, what would you say is your favorite part of it? Uh,
0: for me, it's the entrepreneurial side of it. And uh, and I never I never expected real estate to be like that. Um, you know, I just I don't know. I just never kind of put two and two together. But it's very entrepreneurial. Um, I get to work on like all aspects of a business, which I love. So I'm, you know, I'm working on cash flow. I'm working on marketing. I'm working on legal issues, HR, um, financing. Like, there's just a lot of different stuff to do. And for a guy like me that just likes to kind of have my hands in a lot of different things, it's it's really um, it's really fun and uh, growing and scaling a business. So I, it's that part of it is is really great. And then it's coupled with real estate, which has great tax advantages, great leverage opportunities from financing, um, great long-term wealth growth strategy, like all those things that that are good like for uh, financial well-being is all kind of packaged in there. So for me, it's really like the best of both worlds.
1: Nice. So when you're working with entrepreneurs, how much time do you kind of suggest that they put into kind of working with you, doing the, their kind of the research on it, if if they're going to take this as their kind of one of their many streams of income, how much time do they put into that?
0: So, so it varies a bit. Um, like for me personally, if someone like knows me really well, they're like, yeah, Chad, whatever you're doing, I'm doing right. Go and ahead. they'll spend an hour. <laughs> on it, right. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of, that's kind of rare. And it's not scalable. Most, most people, most entrepreneurs, they'll, they'll, they'll dive pretty deep into it, they'll spend a lot of time kind of just learning about it, learning about uh, different opportunities, different asset classes, maybe different geography markets, Um, certainly operators and partnership teams. Like they spend a lot of time kind of kicking the tires on that. Um, And then they'll do like, let's say like a minimum investment to kind of, okay, I'm going to test it out, right? See what this is all about. And then once they kind of see the whole story and that it actually works and there's good communications and they're getting returns, like after that, it's like, they'll spend an hour on a deal. So yeah, this looks good. And and here's, you know, a hundred grand. Um, and it becomes like very, very low in terms of the amount of time they put into it down the road. But up mm-hmm. front, I'd say there's a, a fair amount of time uh, for them just to get comfortable with the idea.
1: Nice. And I assume that that's just part of your everyday is kind of going through that and helping them understand the difference between different properties. Cause you got a, quite the variety of properties going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot going on. Um, I try to put out a lot of educational content, um, YouTube videos, uh, a lot on social media, LinkedIn, just to kind of warm people up to the ideas that, hey, there's a better way, in my opinion, than the stock market or cryptocurrencies or some of these other investments that are really volatile. Um, there's a safer way to do it. And you can invest on, on invest in Main Street, you know, and so that's what I'm trying to help investors do.
1: Love it. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients, or at least a good story of one of your clients. <laughs> um, yeah, doing all right.
0: I, I think, look, I think it ends up being one of the, the repeat investors, right? They'll they'll put in as much time as they need to in the beginning to get comfortable with the idea. They'll see how it, how it works. And then after that, they, they really put it on cruise control. They focus on their business Um you know it could be a high w2 income earner um a lot of times it's an entrepreneur and uh and they'll they'll put it on cruise control after that and really like be able to still focus on their business and um but then they they've got this passive income stream on the side they're super appreciative um and they're they're smart where they're kind of planning ahead and knowing okay i'm going to put this in real estate and it's going to stay there i i still might do some stock investments or crypto or oil and gas or whatever they like to do, they'll still do some of that stuff to kind mm-hmm. of balance out their portfolio. But they they also know that they've got this real estate stuff working. That, that would probably be like like the ideal client, Cinderella client, I like that term.
1: <laughs> nice. So I know our listeners are gonna want more from you. How did they start that journey?
0: Yeah, so look, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, I put together an ebook on, on why entrepreneurs should invest in apartment buildings. It's also, a lot of that is applicable to W-2 income earners as well. Um, They can find that on my website, csqproperties.com. And then, like I said, we do a lot on social media. LinkedIn, YouTube is all at CSQ Properties.
1: Love it. Love it, love it. We will, of course, have all of your links in the show notes. So, peeps, just scroll down and get Chad's info there. Chad, I get to ask you, at what point in your life did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur?
0: uh early it was early
1: (laughs) tell (laughs) tales
0: yeah it was early I'll tell you a quick a quick story uh my earliest entrepreneurial venture I was about 10 years old uh moved into a house with a decent sized lot that was just all dirt and my dad wanted me to pick all the weeds and and it was it was a lot of weeds and uh, I said okay yeah you know I'll pick weeds and So he said, all right, he's like, well, here's the bucket. You know, I'm I'm gonna go to work, fill up the bucket. And every bucket full that you have, I'll give you, I'll give you, I think he said two dollars is what he gave me per bucket. And it was like one of those five-gallon buckets. And so anyway, so I said, okay, great. He went off to work. And uh, I'm the oldest of five kids. So I grabbed the bucket and I told my siblings, hey, you guys, let's go pick weeds. I'll pay you a dollar for every bucket you fill up. So (laughs) I gave him buckets, paid him a dollar to fill up the buckets. I did work too. Uh, and my dad came home and he gave me $2 for every bucket and I paid my siblings and that was my first business at 10 years old.
1: It's <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Put them to work. Right. You know, it's funny, speaking of uh, businesses and family, there's uh, three of all, all, I have two brothers and all three of us are in the entrepreneurs organization. Wow. And my okay. sister has a startup doing an IT company. So uh, very entrepreneurial family, um, but that's that. Maybe that's where it started.
1: Nice. Well, kudos to Dad for <laughs> getting all, and to you for recognizing a labor force when you see one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, cheap labor.
1: <laughs> well, and they're all probably looking at you, going, "I got to pay the extra profit." <laughs> that's why they're all in business now, trying to make up for that. Yeah, that's yeah, funny. <laughs> Dad, you've been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps?
0: Uh, no, just really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, I know you have a lot of great guests and I uh, put a great podcast together, so I really appreciate being here.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Cool. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to seven to eight. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.